You're listening to Alternative Thinking, Both Sides of the Coin, a production of the Canadian Association of Alternative Strategies and Assets, where we explore today's markets and alternative investments from two distinct perspectives. Today's podcast features a little vertical integration as we bring together a small cap fund manager and a company that he invests in, and they speak to how to invest in this niche market and the stages of investment from private to public into the later and larger market cap stages. James Brown is the president and co-founder of CASA. All opinions expressed during the show by James and our show guests remain their own and should be used for informational and educational purposes only. Find out more about CASA at casa.ca. Welcome, everybody. This is James Perron with CASA, and this is Alternative Thinking. Today, we're talking with Mark Zaret with the Terrace Fund, uh, part of Spartan Fund Management, and Nelson Thal with Hubbard Technologies. Uh, we're going to start with uh, self-introductions. We'll uh, start with you, Mark. Uh, tell us about your fund and what you've been doing and uh, what's happening in this, this small cap arena. Thanks, James. Um, first of all, I just have to start with a little disclaimer that I'm not a registered portfolio manager. I work alongside a registered manager at Spartan, and I'm the source of many of the ideas, suggestions, etc. in the fund. Uh, but I just wanted to state that for you. Um, Very good. So I've been I've been uh, pretty much a full time investor for some thirty years, and started with just my own capital back in the early '90s, very early '90s, and. Um, I guess I had a bit of a unique approach uh, where I targeted very small microcap companies and I really focused in on the venture, had a very good track record over a period of 20 years. Um, at one point I approached Spartan Fund Management and they were, at the same time, they were not covering that area. They had nobody specializing in that area and they had interest and we sort of collaborated and uh, decided to go ahead with opening the Spartan, uh, the Tiras Fund back in 2012 with me as the sort of chief analyst. And uh, it's been a, a great eight years. Yeah, it's a nice little uh, platform that they have there. They will take on quite a few different capacity constrained uh, strategies. So you don't have to build out your own infrastructure. Um, and well, yeah, so how does that work? So are you in the is it venture cap or is it public all public equities or, or how what what kind of uh, areas are you in and how do you uh, maybe go into how you determine whether a company's worth uh, worth investing in? Uh, we have a rule in the OM that states that uh, private companies can only be ten percent of the portfolio, so that sort of covers that subject. We're ninety percent listed. Mm-hmm. Um, of the ninety percent, uh, virtually all of it is venture listings. Some are now on the CSE, which is the sort of competitive uh, early stage uh, board, Uh, with the odd company also trading on the main TSX, sometimes by graduation and sometimes because they're really a little more uh, of that type of company, you know, the smaller ones on the main board. Um, The process is, I would say, a whole whole bunch of boxes need to get ticked. Um, So, Fairly sector agnostic, although I do have a bit of a leaning towards resource. I think resource has been the sort of mainstay driver in Canada. Uh, some 80 to 85 percent of the listings are resource oriented. Um, I look for successful people with a great track record who are starting up new businesses. I look for fallen angels. I look for 
you know, companies that perhaps had a failed business, let's say, and but are sitting there with a big cash treasury that's going to be looking for a new business. So this is really early stage stuff, startup stuff. Um, at the risk of sounding, I mean, it's it's difficult to argue that there's deep value in this space, but in my mind, I define it that way. And sometimes yeah. the value is in the human capital. So, you know, you may not see it, but you know who the operators are and you you believe in their ability to create value. And then, of course, we drill down into, you know, what kind of finance do they structure? Are there warrants? Are there no warrants? So, again, it's a whole long list of uh, factors, I'd say, that get taken into account when looking for uh, an investment. Very cool. I got a bunch of questions here. So what's the difference between uh, companies that are on the big board, like the TSX and the TSX Venture or the, or the CSE and, and, uh, and kind of why, why, why are they on one and not the other and how, like, how do they graduate between the two? Uh, I guess this is my, my first line of questions there, just like the, the structuring of the, these different types of exchanges. Uh, James, just before I answer that question, I just want to do a very quick shout out to my son, Sam, who uh, works alongside of me, and he's a big help with technology. And I've always been a believer in uh, being in touch with the younger generation if you want to stay ahead of the game in technology. So Sam and Nelson uh, met, and Sam introduced Nelson to me and said, you've got to meet this guy. He's brilliant. So I just wanted to get that in there. Very cool. Yeah, you know, I think it's just mainly hurdles, the different levels of um, of size of the company. For example, I can recall once being involved in a uh, a startup, uh, a biotech that was private. They were going public. And I, re- I recall at the time that if they were going to raise over $10 million, they could go straight to the so-called big board. And if it was under $10 million, they went to the venture. So that was, that was a hurdle level right there. And uh, there's a whole bunch of other ones. So, you know sales levels, uh, market cap. Um, it's, it's all pretty clearly spelled out on their website, actually. Um, so I don't, I don't have all that right at my fingertips, but um, it's determined by size. Cool. Now, thank God for the internet. We can always go there. So it's, and then how is, so you said, well, maybe a lot of re, or more resources. Are, are the resource companies generally, like, is there more small resource companies that, that, that are good targets for you? Or is it just that, uh, they're just more resources, resource companies generally. Like, do you know the breakdown of large cap versus small and, and micro cap and uh, resource and like in the broader market there? Uh, well, I know on the venture, there's about 80% resource. So I think um, that's, as I, as I was saying, that's, that's the main driver in Canada for raising capital on, uh, in a public market. And I, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, one of them being, that uh, when you get big investors that want to, uh, you know, really shovel in, call it tens of millions of dollars into a mining project, they will typically be looking for uh, producers, companies that are about to go into production, that sort of thing. They'll never fund, res- uh, they'll they'll never fund drilling programs. They just don't do that. They'll never take on that kind of risk. So. That risk appetite is really only satisfied in a public market, in a junior public market. There's really no uh, outside private equity that, that's <laughs> that's gunning for a piece of that action. They don't want that action, you know. But they will finance mine production, etc. So I think that's why we have such a proliferance in Canada of 
of junior mining companies. Cool. And then you had two other terms. Well, one term really fallen angels. And then you mentioned some kind of companies have a large cash treasury. And I'm thinking, is that like an RTO, like a reverse takeover where somebody has some cash and then they, they build, they, they bring in an asset and is that the same as a fallen angel or is that, uh, how, how are those defined? Uh, I'm thinking of fallen angel. Well, uh, maybe, maybe it's best, uh, told by an actual story about that. So I, I can recall back in 2007, eight, uh, and you guys might remember the name Cool Brands. Cool Brands was the largest uh, publicly traded uh, dessert company, actually. They owned a whole bunch of franchises like Eskimo Pie and uh, a number of well-known names, um, yogurt, uh, the, you know, those yogurt machines, they were pretty much all owned by, uh, by Cool Brands. And uh, anyway, for a variety of reasons, the company essentially uh, had, well, they, they had all kinds of difficulties with um, the companies they were working with. They lost their licenses in a couple of cases. Uh, long story short, for a variety of reasons, they ended up being a cash-rich shell trading on the TSX. So yeah. they had about a dollar a share in cash, and the stock would trade at 80 cents, 90 cents. In fact, in the middle of 08, it went down to 35 cents while they still had a dollar in cash. So that's the kind of target I'm talking about, um, a fallen angel, so to speak. You know, they've their business is, is over. They've they've turned it into just cash, and now they're looking for for projects. In this particular case, it became Swisher International. It was actually a Wayne Huizinga company. You might know him from Blockbuster, oh, yeah. and yeah. Um, there's a waste company he founded. He he's the only guy in history that had three top Fortune 100 companies. So. That's called winning the lottery. You get a guy like that mm -hmm. taking over this tiny little company listed on the TSX and bingo. It actually, you know, went from a buck to 10 to be, became a $10 stock at the top with lots of Holy liquidity Lord. and lots of chance to lots of chances to get out, which thankfully I did cuz it didn't work out. But uh, you know, that's <laughs> yeah, you got another story for another day. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, let's hear Nelson's story. Um and with Hubbard Technologies, what what is it? What are you what are you guys doing? And uh, maybe what what made a, a fund like Mark's uh, interested in you guys? Thanks, James. My name's Nelson Thal. I'm the co-founder of Hover Technologies Inc. And Hover is a new kind of web browser designed for today's mobile-first world. It blends many of the features you'd find in social networks, like a profile. You can follow other users, and you have a home feed of curated content for you. And James, have you ever felt frustrated copy-pasting links into emails just to discuss websites? Yeah, or into Zoom and all that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, we were too. And with Hover, it's easier to share and chat about the web. You can quickly post comments, pictures, and more onto any site for your followers to see. And my brother and I, uh, he's my co-founder, Henry, have over 75 years of family history in the newspaper business. In 2016... Mm. We were frustrated as users trying to share and discuss the web. And at the same time, we're watching publishers willingly give up the conversation to Twitter and Facebook. And we thought, wouldn't it be great if we could just post our thoughts right on the site in context for just ourselves or our friends to see, and we can discuss the content right here. And with that inspiration, we founded Hover. And we have multiple patents in the U.S. protecting our technology to layer the web with content. And we've grown an incredible team here, to, here in Toronto, just rolled out our beta app for testing. 
And we're seizing this opportunity of empowering users, web publishers, and advertisers with a more useful, social, and profitable internet experience. Very cool. So how does, uh, you mentioned like 75 years in newspapers and you know, now, now they're reporting on what's on Twitter more than anything else, I think. It's like, yeah, as said on Twitter, they're using that as their source versus say the person. Um, well, the newspaper, so- the newspaper industry never really appreciated how important the conversation was going to be and how important the user's engagement on the story itself was going to be. So whereas they were focused on their editorial stance, their message, um, they really didn't respect the fact that the web was going to give rise to, um, you know, to the ability for users to participate in new ways in the conversation. So they missed the mark on how important that was. So as, you know, Web 2.0 came of age and people were talking and sharing about sharing things online and as twitter uh, came of age they were willing to give the conversation over to these platforms and put the twitter logo on their site and put the facebook logo on their site because that conversation wasn't really valuable to them they believed their their editorial stance was the thing of value but that really isn't the case in 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 the in the uh, digital world and in the 21st century. Uh, the user's participation and involvement is really where the value is. Um, okay, so last question for you is like valuation. So how what, what are you guys worth? Uh, what's what's your plan? Like how does this scale up and and uh, and like make, make make money for investors? How much float do you have? Maybe all those all those questions that kind of Mark alluded to earlier. Sure. So we now have raised over $2 million. Uh, we've raised 775000 of that at a $11 million valuation. Um, we've raised a $1 million in an $8 million valuation. My brother and I have invested over $300,000 into the company. And we uh, grew the business and grew the valuation through multiple rounds of financing, um, acquiring our patents in the U.S., which has been phenomenal for us. A uh, number of partnerships and great support from Amazon that's extended us uh, the maximum amount of credits that they they uh, they offer companies for their server. Um, oh, wow. So we you know we don't pay for our servers presently. It's 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 uh, in Amazon credits and before Amazon, Microsoft granted us four hundred fifty thousand dollars in credits to uh, run on Azure. Um, oh wow! Yeah. We've been able to execute on incredibly difficult technology. If you uh, download uh, our app, um, much of what we've built is uh, really pioneering in many ways. Tremendous amount of R&D, tremendous amount of organization and capable people are working on this project. Um, We are building uh, something that no one else has built. If If you look at this product, it is by far the most social and the most useful way to experience and what we know is browsing to browse the web. If you, if you hover the web, you're entering into an evolution of the web, the likes of which we haven't seen yet. And it's going to be incredibly impactful. Our focus is to be a billion dollar company and we can get there. Very cool. Let's go to Mark. Billion dollar company. That's, uh, how, uh, like, how does this stack up with others that you're seeing in your portfolio that have, uh, like, imagine they have fairly aggressive expansion plans? Um, 
what, what do you see in Hover that makes it make sense for you? Hover was an interesting opportunity uh, because it was a startup. It was low valuation. Mm-hmm. It was uh, being put together by a gentleman of someone I consider to be a good businessman. Uh, Nelson hasn't even touched on his family background, which is pretty impressive. Um, and it was, well, let me, let me back up a little bit and just say this. You know, when you're putting together a microcap portfolio, a lot of the standard tools that investors might use to protect their capital simply don't work. For example, stop losses. We've all heard lots about stop losses over the years. Yeah. Stop losses don't work in illiquid markets, number one. And they're usually the wrong move if you have conviction in, in, a, in a small cap or micro cap idea. So number one is that, in a, in a sense, that there's a stop loss at zero. So in other words, you, you uh, spread your risk amongst a wide group of small companies with the hope and expectation that two or three of them will be home runs and even home runs beyond any, anything quite imaginable. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that was kind of the original impetus with Hover that I saw a potential to get involved in a a very low cap company that had um, many multiples of potential. So if you like, put it very simply, and silly as it may sound, yes, you could lose 100% of your capital, but you could make 10, 20, perhaps 30 times of your capital if this venture is successful. So that's why it had appeal. And I believe in the potential of Hover, as I believe in six or eight other privates that we're currently holding. But I don't know which one will ultimately perform that way. But I believe Hover has a significant chance of doing that. And um, just as further background, I I could have, you know, when you guys approached me, I could have invited somebody in resource to join me on this show. But the fact is people are, you know, nobody nobody wanted to invest in gold, you know, a year or two ago, and now everybody's falling all over themselves. The resource area is getting plenty of attention. There's plenty of money being thrown at it right now. You're hearing $50 million deals, and it's not even you know, a big one. So but where we're really behind in Canada and where we really need to throw more support out there, I believe, is in technology. And especially post-COVID, what, what are we seeing as the two big winners, technology and, and gold, frankly? And so uh, that's where my interest came from and why I'm supporting Hover and why I invited Nelson to join me today, because I think this sector needs more exposure and more investment locally. Yeah. So, yeah, because it sounds like, yeah, even on very much like VC investing, you make a a bunch of bets and the only thing you can do really is diversify. You can make as as good a bet as you can, but at the end of the day, right, it could be, could be zero, very high touch. Um, Do you do the sort of thing with the micro caps and the small caps that you invest in? Uh, Is it, the, the same sort of thing is the same sort of payoff. And also uh, maybe part of that to, to drill in deeper is, is are there metrics that you use uh, like that you can kind of pull off Bloomberg and that, or is it very, very basically one-on-one all, all unique deals? Well, I think it's a lot of one-on-one, a lot of networking, a lot of building a community, getting to know a community, having that community know you and know what you're all about and that you're, um, a good shareholder that you plan to stick around for a certain number of years. Um, that's 
that's all pretty important. But you just reminded me of a, of a case where an IR guy called me one day and he said, Mark, you really should take a look at this company. I think it's undervalued by 50%. And I basically replied and said, well, that's exactly why I won't buy it. We're not targeting 50%. We're targeting multiples. So you know, to answer your question, yes, we're, if I can't really get my head around three, five, or 10 times my capital as a potential win, I have no interest. So we're looking for long balls, and we've been fortunate in capturing a few, and, and that's what drives the return. So does the small cap index outperform the larger ones, or how, how, do, they, how, do, they, how do they compare? Uh, it, you know, it varies. I mean, right now, small caps are actually doing quite well. So there's a, a resurgence in interest in the sector, but there have been times where, uh, for example, the Russell in the States has been a non-performer or pretty flat. Uh, but I think of late, uh, small caps have been doing relatively well. And, and in, uh, in Canada here, the venture has been outperforming uh, the TSX this year, which only happens <laughs> rarely, let's say. <laughs> maybe maybe twice in the last 15 20 years i don't again i don't have that statistic in front of me but it's it's a rare occasion so there is a bit of resurgence uh in small in microcap right now again driven by um resource and technology i got one more for here we'll go to nelson here so so if you if 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 the venture is is popping does that make your job more difficult because you're trying to beat the index i imagine or is it, um, or is it, is it just that you're? It's great because you can sell at higher multiples. Like, how, how does that affect your your view? Or do you not really care? Well, a healthy market is is what we all want, and so yes, I, I I'm much happier when the market is going up, when there's liquidity, um, when people are making money, and then they'll typically, hopefully, turn around and support another company coming along. So, in short. Um, uh, a good healthy market is, of course, a good thing. But there is a negative side to it, and that is if you're involved, say, in a specific sector, and that sector uh, takes off higher multiples, uh, you know, in, in the case of resource, you have no discovery, but suddenly you have 20, 30, 50 million dollar market caps, 100 million dollar market caps. It, it makes finding new opportunities in that particular area much more difficult. Part of my job, as I see it, is to be ahead of the curve, if I could use that expression. And by doing so, I'm well positioned for when events occur that I've been anticipating. So just on the gold subject, I mean, I've been an active buyer of these stocks for several years, now finally being rewarded for that view. But in other times, it's been uh, a different approach. So it's not to say that this is a gold fund. In three years, I can't tell you where it'll be. Uh, for example, right now, nobody cares about uh, oil and gas. Yet there will be some companies that will survive, and it's early, and it requires a lot of work, a lot of balance sheet study in that particular case because you don't want to, you know, take risk of of bankruptcy, et cetera. But I'm just pointing that out as one sector that may be the focus of the fund in the next year or two. So yeah, the healthy market is good, but it does make entry into the sector that's performing more difficult. Let's go to Nelson. So I, yeah, cause you mentioned the like VC investing or Mark mentioned VC investing and 
I always have the two paradigms. Like one is an angel that kind of just puts in money, but maybe doesn't necessarily have the expertise. Um, and then someone that's a, a venture capital fund has uh, a ton of expertise and they'll kind of come in and say, well, you need a CFO, you need all these other things and we can, we can help you do that. Like with the, especially with incubators. Uh, what do you look for an investor? Is it, is it simply the cash or is it something that's, um, that's above that? Or, or do you kind of discriminate between maybe two types of investors that are into, into hover? I think that when it comes to an investor, it's actually very similar to the, what I look for in a partner or even in an employee and your goals fundamentally have to align. So you really try and do your best to identify what the person's goals are. And uh, once you're confident your goals align, then the whole partnership or, or relationship is able to really be built off a better foundation. So uh, when we started the company, um, we were just self-financing the business. And um, we proved out, you know, our first question was, look, could we actually go to somebody's website, write a comment and post it? on their site or a, or even post it on a paragraph that was on their site or an image on their site. And would that comment mm -hmm. be able to stick there? And could I go back to that and see what I posted? And we wanted to prove that out and we built out an MVP in order to do so. And it was a Chrome extension. It was the easiest way to execute on it at the time. And, um, I was showing it to a friend of mine at dinner. And I was on his site and I, I posted a comment about his, he's a real estate guy. I posted a comment about a property of his on his site. And he said, like, what are you doing? Have you been talking to my web developer? Like, how'd you do that? And I told him, no, this is, this is hover. Like, this is our, this is a company that we're, we're starting. And he said, wow. So you, you know, you were able to do that without me knowing, without uh, me, to, you know, giving you the ability to do it. And I said, yeah. He said, oh, and uh, he said, could I invest in your company? And I thought, oh, well, you know, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like, says, you know, that's, that sounds, sounds great. And I, he said, yeah, like, I, I love it. I think this is fantastic. And you could tell that his, you know, his, the reasons why he was making the investment were, were perfect. He was fascinated with it like, like we are. He understood where it could go like we did. And, um, as we continue to grow, most of the investors in our company have uh, really uh, come from a very similar space, um, and uh, we've we haven't been, I would say, you know, overly active soliciting investment. But we've, you know, I continue to network through uh, the people I respect and and uh, the different business people that I that I know and I and I talk to about Hover, and it's been wonderful because I've been able to. Um, meet people like Mark and getting an understanding that we aligned on our goals. Fundamentally, you know, we, we both, um, were interested in, in building companies that, and Mark investing in companies that had a uh, tremendous return potential. And, um, you know, I, I don't take a salary from hover. My brother doesn't take a salary from hover. Um, we are in this to, to really win it, and knock it out of the park. And we believe there's a, a massive opportunity here. Um, so Mark understood that. And I think that that's a lot of, you know, the most important pieces to, um, to being comfortable with an investor and really feeling, you know, happy that shares that were once yours are now his, you know?
Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I know the startup story. Shoot, we started Casa about two and a half years ago, and it was, uh, yeah, all bootstrapped, just go, and uh, hope that what you're putting out there resonates with people and, uh, and um, you know, refine it as you as you go on. And uh, and it's important to have someone there who's uh, who's really good at maybe something that you're not as good at or, or you know, you have to have complementary skill sets and such and uh and maybe backgrounds although i guess you and your brother have pretty similar backgrounds so let, let's hear that backstory because mark alluded to it and then you said like, like 75 years in newspapers like how did you guys get from newspapers uh and to to where you are now and kind of how does that how does that mesh between the two of you sure so my grandfather uh, was a metallurgical engineer at the u of t and in the 40s the founder of the toronto star mr atkinson came to the university with a problem. His printing plates were breaking. And he asked the university if they could recommend somebody who could help fix uh, these printing plates. And they recommended my grandfather. And my grandfather uh, was hired at that time as a, as, a, as a contractor to come in and fix the plates. And, and he did that. And then they hired him full time in production in the 40s. And he worked there until the 50s, and Mr. Atkinson passed away, and Mr. Atkinson decided to put my grandfather on as a trustee of his estate, and he left the Toronto Star to a charity that he held within his estate. A couple of years later, the government came in and said, a charity can't own a for-profit enterprise like the Star. And they, oh, yeah. and they forced the estate to divest of the company. And in that moment, it gave a number of people the opportunity to buy into the business. And in the 50s, uh, my grandfather took a loan and bought a fifth. And uh, really? we were partnered with four other families, and they formed uh, what's called, what was called the Voting Trust, of Torstar. And um, we spent, uh, you know, from the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, I came on the scene in the late 80s, 90s, 2000s. We were uh, in that business up until a couple weeks ago when Jordan Bitov and Paul Rivette purchased it from us. Uh, huh. And um, in the early, uh, in about, at about 2005, I was uh, 14 or 15. And uh, my brother was 16, and my grandfather booked us on meetings with a couple of our partners in the company. He was a big advocate of getting kids involved early. And um, we brought our first flip phones to the meeting, which had cameras on them. And we were already taking pictures with our friends with these cameras. And, and the star is governed by these principles called the Atkinson principles. And one of them is that if the infrastructure in a city is crumbling, then the editorial uh, team of the star better do something about it. They better create stories about it to try and make improve this city's infrastructure. So we brought our flip phones to the meeting and we said, you know, it would be great if I could take pictures of potholes in the city or the Gardner Expressway crumbling and I could submit those to the star so they could start to create some content off of that. And they said to us, son... I don't think that you really understand the operation we've got going on here. We've got photographers for that. We've got journalists for that. We don't need anybody to submit their pictures. And 
we left these meetings thinking, oh my gosh, these guys are, they don't know what to do with the web. Like they're not going to grow on the web. If they think that user participation Mm -hmm. is a scary thing and that makes them feel insecure, then the web is going to be an animal that they do not know how to handle. And we went back and we started to say to our, our family, like, we got to get out of this thing, like this thing. I don't read the paper. They're not listening. Like, they're not going to understand the web. We got to get out of this thing. And you have things like Flipboard and, and all the other things that you can get curated news. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So they, uh, after about a year of, you know, in like 2000, I think this was 2004, late 2004, um, they... Uh, our family uh, said, "You know what? You guys are you guys are right," and uh, it was the catalyst for us basically to sell our non-voting shares, big chunk of our non-voting shares at the time, and continue to do so before 08. And then 08, 08 hit, and uh, the whole thing started to crash, and it was like fantastic because my brother and I, you know, came in with this insight and made a fantastic decision. And, um, and that really is, you know, a lot of our, our business background has been working in that business, um, looking at investments, both from a family office perspective, but also from a Torstar perspective and, um, and uh, getting into and understanding technology and what it takes to develop technology through the products and different companies we're involved in. That's a wild story. It reminds me of actually, we had Fleet de Gaspé Bobien III on a podcast, I guess number 35 or 36. And, and so he, he did something similar. Like they, they, they ended up getting into Videotron uh, and they, and they said sold their newspapers when EBITDA was like 15, 22 times. And then they went down to like four. And so he was like, he was totally on board with, yeah, you got to get the new media. You got to go onto, onto other things and, and kind of navigate through, through everything. Um, we, um, that's a wild story. We were, we sold in the high twenties, like 27, 28. Mm-hmm. And, uh, our partners never sold a share. And, uh, Jordan and Paul just picked it up for, you know, less than a buck a share. Wow. That's amazing. So how, um, like, where's this, like you said, a billion dollar company, like how does it get there? How, how do you get to where the end, the end game or, or the, you know, super large company? Uh, we've all seen the social network when they thought, wow, Facebook could be a hundred million dollar company. Um, how does it get there, and what, what sort of milestones uh, do you see happening to get to uh, get yourself on the way? So the key to getting there, uh, without spending billions of dollars, is you have to fundamentally empower um, people and companies that have large existing audiences. So we knew very early on when we showed the first version of Hover to to um, Metroland at the time, which was Torstar's community papers they reacted very positively and they said, you know, this would be something that we could, you know, enhance and grow users time on site all across all of our properties with hover because we're moving the conversation back onto our properties. So that was great because what it led into was our first partnership agreement with Metroland, which uh, today we call an affiliate partnership agreement. And, and, you know, my, 
I believe that content is king. I'm, I'm not an editorial person. I've never been interested in editorial, but I've always been interested in platforms similar to, I mean, my grandfather was like the print platform and an old school platform. I, I'm, I really love modern day platforms. And um, I believe that um, the web can do a lot better job at empowering publishers than it has. If you look at the browser, the browser has not evolved. Um, it basically has gone stagnant um, for 15 years. And uh, we've watched Web 2.0 really evolve into social networking and become a uh, tremendous problem for all publishers. Um, and Hover really takes the, the benefits of Web 2.0 and merges that with the freedom of browsing and, and really builds out the first Web 3.0 experience, really, which is the synthesis of, of social networking and, and browsing. And we've been able to take that and that opportunity for publishers and influencers and package it up into these affiliate partners. So these publishers are interested in not only including Hover in their website beside the Facebook and Twitter logo, but they want to encourage their users to share their pictures from the Leaf game on their article with Hover, to have a discussion mm -hmm. about the content with Hover, and encourage their users to hop onto Hover and engage their content through, through our platform because they know that this is a social network that is constantly driving the users in the conversation to their properties. So we've really been able to build out um, uh, an aggressive growth strategy through those partnerships, because instead of um, paying for all that exposure, we naturally um, have been able to uh, build that exposure into the model. And for that, ultimately, the, uh, the, the, um, the influencer, or the blogger, the web publisher gets the benefit of the increased time on site, increased engagement that Hover offers, but also we offer that affiliate partner a revenue share on all of the users that they have sign up through their portals to Hover, as well as a revenue share on any advertising that Hover has on top of their sites. So it's a complete win-win for us and the publisher. Very cool. Hey, back to Mark. Uh, yeah, because you mentioned like uh, Nelson's talking about platforms, and that, that's basically what Spartan is. I think there's 14, 15 funds on uh, on uh, on the Spartan platform. So, so what's your capacity of your strategy? You know, small cap, micro cap. Uh, is it a, a few hundred million? Can you get to be a billion? Uh, and kind of what's your? Um, I don't know if you have an end game in mind, but uh, but how do, or you, or you just continue to produce returns and you have a I guess a management performance fee and and, and go from there. Where, where, uh, I enjoy what I do, so I think as long as I enjoy it, I'll keep doing it. I I enjoy the chase, if you like, finding winners, producing good returns. Uh, capacity is a very interesting subject, and mm -hmm. one that I think again, there's some thought that microcap is not scalable, and there there's there's there is some history that says otherwise. So, for example. Uh, the entire market capitalization of the Vancouver, or sorry, the ventures, it's called now. the The entire market cap of the of the venture is about fifty billion dollars. Um, if you add on the CSE, you come to another twenty million, twenty billion. So that's seventy billion. Um, 
you've got a guy like Eric Sprott who just threw a billion dollars at resource companies. You've got um, another example, Pender Fund out west. They run a micro cap or a small cap fund that's 150 yeah. million in that. So yeah, yeah. you know there is potential to scale in this business. I think um, as it grows, I could I could easily agree that uh, the job becomes more difficult. But I do think there's room to grow. And I don't know that a billion is the right number, but certainly a micro cap fund could grow to the many hundreds of millions of dollars without any great difficulty. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. Um, very good. And, well, and that's not counting that. private equity. That's, we're not even talking private equity because within the private world, there are you know, those companies that want to go public and, and they're raising capital as we have done with, uh, we, we have done with Hover. So the marketplace really is quite large. Awesome. Well, I don't know where you guys are right now, but where I am, the sun's actually shining a bit brighter. So it sounds like brighter days for everybody, for, for Hover and uh, for the Terraz Fund. And thanks a lot for being on with us. And we'll hope to get you guys on another, uh, another podcast uh, sometime soon. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Thanks for having us, James. Pleasure to be here.